we have a very, very special guest this morning. Um, just want to share with you just quickly. Um, it's, it's pastoring this church. One of the one of the benefits, I would say, is, is meeting other pastors and other leaders in our community. And as you, many of you know, we have an LCN meeting monthly at Liberty Church Network. It's a, just pastors gathering together to talk about discipleship and to make disciples. And uh, several months ago, uh, well, we've known each other for quite a while, but uh, we reconnected. Pastor and director of Adult and Teen Challenge, Victor Harris, is going to come and share the word with us. Come on up, brother. I, I'm not sure if he feels this way, and that's okay, but uh, the moment we met, we connected right away. Um, and uh, you're, you're a dear brother, and I, I enjoy and have enjoyed the journey so far, walking with you together. Um, my heart, of course, is for addictions and coming out of cocaine addiction myself yeah. and uh, meeting you and walking with you forever how long God tarries with us. Um, it's been a great joy and a pleasure, and I am super excited. What God's going to do is he opens up his word to you. Brother, bless you. Oh, praise the Lord. <clears throat> I think I'm on. Can you hear me? Well, Pastor Lou, thank you so much. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity. I know that you are a man who has a very high value of the Word of God. So to have the privilege and the opportunity to come and break the bread of the Word with your flock is a tremendous privilege. And before I do get started, I want to thank God for my beautiful wife, Janine, would you just stand up? Hallelujah. That is my good thing. Hallelujah. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. And so this morning, if you would please turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14 familiar portion of scripture, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14. Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, and when you get there, please stand for the reading of the Word of God. We stand in honor of God's Word. Hallelujah. And so, thus declares the Word of the living God. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and to encamp in front of Pi-Haharoth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. And you shall encamp facing it by the sea. And Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so, and when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? 
So he made ready his chariot and he took his army with him and he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them <coughs> at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Father, we just thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to peer into your word. And God, I just ask that in this brief moment of time, Lord, that you would set me aside. And Father, that you would speak truth to the hearts of your people. We thank you for the wonderful privilege that we have been granted Lord, to be called children of the living God. So bless the reading of your word to the hearts of your children, I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. And, amen. and you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so just really, um, my thought this morning is, and the title of this thought would be between a rock and a hard place. And how many of us have found ourselves in a place where the cares and the tribulations of life have found us in that place where it didn't seem as if there was a viable way out? And so as we read through this story, we, we know that this, this is an exciting time in the book of Exodus. But we, we, we need to remember that it, it, it's not just a, a book of the history of the nation of Israel, which it is that. It is about biblical history, yes, but it's more than that. It is about the history of redemption, but it's more than that. We need to know that this is meant to be a divine revelation of how God will glorify himself through hard times. We even look into Paul as he tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in emphasizing that these things were written down for us so that we know as we look at the nation of Israel and their response to what God was doing so that we would know sometimes the things that we learn is what not to do. And we know that this is a story that is repeated over and over in the Psalms and in later books in the Old Testament. 
And we can see and we can look at God and his providential care for his people. When we back up into chapter 13, verses 17 through 22, what we see is that God had guided them and directed them, but he was mindful of Israel's weaknesses and frailties. God took all of that into consideration as he led them on the path. And we need to understand and we need to know that in our own personal lives. That when we find ourselves in that place of hardship, trial, and tribulation, there are things in the heart of God that he knows that we don't. And it becomes so important for us to have that mindset in knowing the sovereign will and purpose of God for our lives because God desires to use us to glorify himself. We serve a God who keeps his promises. His promises towards us are yes. And that gives us our amen. And we can see a beautiful picture of Joseph in this point in time. God had promised him that he would not be buried in the land of Egypt. And so as they're going out in procession off to the wilderness to worship God, they're being led by Joseph's coffin, the bones. And so God is giving them tangible evidence that he is a God who honors and fulfills that which he has purposed. And we can see the power and the presence of God as we study and look at the nation of Israel. Him leading them with the fire by night and the cloud by day. They had a tangible and a real experience of the power and the presence of God leading them through the wilderness. But then we know when we look at the text that we are going to explore today, we can see, and sometimes I think about what it must have been like to be in the mind of one of those Israelites as God brought them out of bondage from Israel. And then all of these wonderful things that they had saw, those 10 days and, and going through the plagues. And we know that after the third plague, there was a separation in what God was doing between the nation of Egypt and the nation of Israel. And to see the miraculous power of God moving on your behalf. But now what they see is that God has led them to a place. And it seems as if everything is falling apart. It seems as if they're being exposed. It seems as if the plan and the purpose of God is beginning to unravel. Maybe you've been there in your own walk. Maybe there's been a time where it seemed as if there was a brass ceiling over your prayer life. Or it just seemed as if the very things that God has promised you, you can't see them being manifest in your own life. 
But what we need to know, what we need to understand is the setbacks, the disappointments, the trials and the tribulations that we find ourselves in are perfect opportunities for God to glorify himself in our situation. Some of you, and I know for myself, I love the ministry of Teen Challenge. It has done something in my life and through my life. I'm a product of the ministry. And I just know what God has done and what God continues to do in the face of trial, in the face of hard times. God continues to show himself faithful. And so we see the nation of Israel now. Here they are. They're in a place of despair. It, it, It seems as if nothing is working out. And Moses gives us this blow-by-blow account so that we can see the intent and the purpose of God. First, we know that, that, that this is about him and what he's going to do. And so I want to take you on this journey, and we're going to see four things about this course that God has them on so that God will reveal his providential care of the nation of Israel despite what they see. We will see in verses 1 through 4 that God will change the course of their journey. In verses 5 through 9, we will see the change of heart of the Egyptians and their pursuit. In verses 10 through 12, We'll see the change of attitude as the nation of Israel begins to complain against Moses. And then finally, in verses 13 and 14, we will see this strange set of directives that God gives the nation of Israel as he fulfills the promise that he gives us. So so let's take a look at this. First in verses 1 through 4, we see that change in course by the command of God. They're on this path, and God redirects them. God uses a different escape route, and he has the people's need in mind. But how many of us have been to a place in your walk with Christ where God is calling you to do something, but you really can't understand why he's calling you to this place or to this situation. You can't really figure out how this is going to fit into your life so that you can honor and glorify God. I've had those kinds of turns, and I'm sure you all have. And so as we look at this, we see God speaking to Moses, and and he kind of lets Moses in on what he's getting ready to do. But Moses doesn't have the opportunity to communicate this to the people. And sometimes when God places men and women of God in our lives as leaders, we need to just be quiet and submit and yield if we really trust the God that they serve. Because I might not see how it's going to fit in my life, but I do know that my leaders have a wider scope of the picture of what's happening and what it is 
that God has called me to. And so the nation of Israel, God commands them to reverse course. And what's about to happen, it's going to place them in a position of vulnerability. We don't like that. We don't like being vulnerable. We don't like taking risks. But that's how we learn to trust God. And so I could just hear them, hey, listen, we're going the wrong way. You're putting us in a place where we're going to be vulnerable to attack. And so in verse 3, God tells Moses exactly what he's up to. What he wants to do is he wants to bring Pharaoh to a place where he thinks that Israel is trapped. And in verse 4, we're told that God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And this is not just for Israel's liberation. That's not the intent of God. The chief reason why God is doing this is for the sake of the glory of his name. The liberation happens, and that's a byproduct of that. But, saints, we need to know and understand that the plan and the purpose of God and all that he does is to glorify his name. And so we hear Pharaoh uttering these words. The Lord? I've never heard of the Lord. Who is the Lord? And God responds to that by saying, Pharaoh, you're going to know who I am. And your people are going to know who I am. The world is going to know who I am. And saints, that's, that's part of the call of God for all of us to use us to bring glory to his name to a dark and a broken world. And so when we look at this story of Exodus, this story of redemption, it's really on a deeper level. It's not about the redemptive purpose and plan of God, but it's about how God has chosen to glorify his name. It's a greater picture. And so we need to know that God has not just liberated us, just to liberate us. Your sin was not broken just to break your sin. But it's all about the glory of God. There's no greater miracle than we can witness today than when God takes a soul and translates it from the kingdom of darkness and brings it into the kingdom of his glorious son. And it's all for the sake of the glory of his name. But of course we know and we can see and we will see, sometimes that's a hard thing to wrap our minds around. We see the response of the nation of Israel. 
And I, I would say that when we read through this passage of Scripture, we need to be careful not to judge them in their response to what was happening. Because if we get honest, how many times in your walk with Christ have you failed to trust God when things got difficult? How many times did you look to past situations instead of the future that God has for you? We need to keep that thought in mind. Secondly, verses 5 through 9 shows us that the Egyptians changed their mind. In verses 5 through 9, it's not only a change of course for the nation of Israel, but it's a change of course and a change of mind for the Egyptians. They come to this understanding as Pharaoh begins to ponder and consider that they've just released their workforce. For you guys who are business owners, you can understand this. What if you woke up and just said, hey man, listen, I'm just going to let all my workers go, but then you wake up the next day and say, man, how am I going to get the work accomplished? And so he says, like, what have I done? I've just let 600,000 able-bodied laborers go, and there's work to be done here. And so we know that God passes over him and allows that heart to change. And so what does he do in response? He mobilizes his entire army to pursue them after he hears where they have gone. Remember that at this point in time in the history of humanity, this would have been the most powerful nation known to man. The strongest army. And so he gets all of his resources together and he's just thinking, man, I've got them. They can't escape. I'm going to get my labor. But thank God, because this was all the work of God. This was something that God had intended in order to deliver and to glorify his name. And so we see in verse 9, the Egyptians catch up. They come within sight of the camp of Israel, the place where God had commanded them to go. On the surface, it seems like utter destruction and an utter catastrophe. But we're looking in hindsight. We, we've got 2020 vision because we can play armchair quarterback. We know that there's a purpose in God for this. We know that God has allowed Pharaoh to do this because it's part of his plan and his purpose to glorify his name. He had to put Israel between that rock and that hard place so that they wouldn't try to rely upon their own strength, their own wisdom. But all they could do was trust God. And so God entices him into this conflict 
for the revelation of his glory. And so we next see in verses 10 through 12 the change of the heart of the people of Israel. Now we're back to the people of God. And we see Moses hearing about what's going on from God. We've seen God display his purposes in allowing and hardening Pharaoh's heart, all to display his glory. But then what we see is a change of heart. And the people begin to complain. We can see this happening often with the nation of Israel because of their lack of understanding of what God is doing, their lack of trusting in him. And sometimes we get so focused upon the horizontal that we forget about the vertical. And so here they are in a panic. They're crying out to the Lord. They forget about everything that God has done for them up until that point. Here it is. Danger is confronting them. They see the dust coming up. And rather than to just rest in God, they begin to complain to their leader. Why have you brought us here? We could have just died in Egypt. And remember Egypt. Egypt was like Grave Depot, right? All, all the pyramids and the Sphinx, all of those are monuments to the dead. And they're so sarcastic in their response. Why have you dealt with us this way? Why have you brought us out of Egypt? Why have you brought us here? And when we find ourselves asking those questions, God's response is, it's for my glory. The revelation of the glory of God through his people it's why God brings us to the place called the wilderness. When you look at the wilderness and you look at the examples that are set forth in Scripture, the wilderness is a place of desolation. It's a place of isolation. It's a place of temptation. It's a place of purging. Nobody willingly goes to the wilderness. We would much rather be comfortable with our little creature comforts. But God needs to bring us to the wilderness. Of course, ultimately, the wilderness was the place where God called them to, to worship him. And so when we look at what's happening, again, we shouldn't play armchair quarterback. 
It's a dire situation. It's hard. But it's those places where we really learn to trust God. And that will be part of your testimony as you share with others what God has done in your life. Now through that, we do know and we can see that there is a spiritual advancement that is made by the nation of Israel. When, when they were oppressed and they cried out to God, the cry wasn't Elohim. No. This time they cried out to the covenantal God, to Yahweh. It was the God who entered into relationship with them on a much deeper level. It is that spiritual advance that we all make when God comes and apprehends our heart and we yield and submit to him. He is the God of covenant that was fulfilled some 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross when Christ did for us what we cannot do for ourselves, when he took upon himself all that was due me, to present to the Father a church, a people, spotless and blameless, so that the Father can give that gift back to him. This is what God does in our lives as men and women of God. And so sometimes, saints, the very thing that you are going through is so that God can get you to a place where you will not try to figure it out on your own, but you'll cry out to him so that we can be reminded of who he is and what he has done for us. Fourth and finally, God commands some strange directives, but he also makes some bold promises. In the face of impending disaster, Moses is about to say something to the nation of Israel that is tremendous. The impact of it to the nation, to our lives, as we see this. See, Israel, the nation of Israel, is they're, they're thinking more about their enemies in pursuit of them. They're not thinking about the intention and the plan and the purpose of God. And again, I will say, remember, we're talking about a people who have been slaves in the nation of Egypt for 430 years. They didn't have, as we do, 
scripture so that they can look into the scripture. They didn't have these resources. And so the nation of Israel proved themselves to be lifelong pessimists because that's all they knew was the slavery and the bondage. They they really didn't understand the fullness of what God was about to do. They really didn't understand all of that. They were a people who always saw the glass as half empty. Because if anybody has been liberated, and I believe that I can say that for those of us who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, then you have been liberated from the bondage of sin. It doesn't matter how that manifested itself in your life. Everybody's got a thing. And even as believers, (laughs) I've got a thing. The struggles and the trials to get over that thing. You know, sometimes we have a conversation, I have a conversation with the men, and, and Pastor Lou, I just remember reading through the book of Romans chapter 1, and, and, and you know, as a new believer and kind of coming to an understanding of what God was saying there, and I was like, yeah, that's cool, and thinking that that was for non-believers. And then I, I, I heard a teaching on that portion of Scripture, but I know he's one of your favorites, Dr. John Piper. And, man, it just kind of opened that up, verses 16 through 18, and just in knowing that as a believer, and we need to know this, that as a believer in Christ, the reason why you sin is because you suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For any believer in Christ who commits sin, that is a suppression of the knowledge of truth that God has given me in order to gratify the deeds of my flesh. And so we need to know, though, and be thankful that even in the midst of that, that we serve a God who has said, if we confess our sins, he is just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so as they're looking at this and and all of these things are happening to them and, and, and they're paying attention to, man, here is this, army with these chariots and, and, and Pharaoh who has had us in bondage for all these years and man I've got mountains on the side of me and I've got a sea in front of me and how am I going to get out of this? Well my friends we know how they got out. Because we have a God who's more than able to surpass anything that we might find ourselves confronted with. Yes, there is a real enemy. And in the providential care of God, he may use him to bring us to a place that we will testify just like Paul testified in 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, where he said these things happen so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God. And so here they are. They're looking at this tyrant that's representing our sin. It sucked the life out of them and all that they desired. But we have a sovereign God. And there's nothing, nothing that is greater than him. And so, what does Moses say? He says these three things. First, don't be afraid. <laughs> don't fear. It's the flip side of faith, right? How often, when we read through Scripture, when God visits people, the first thing that he says is, fear not. Because we serve a God. Who we need to fear. The fear and the trembling of the Lord. Solomon said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The Puritans they said it this way, fear God and you have nothing else to fear. God was going to show them that day that he is the only one worth fearing in this world. Secondly, Moses says to stand where you are, get ready to watch. That's what he meant by stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand right where you are. Don't move. Don't do anything. Although you may think that there's something for you to do. And I know men, we, we can kind of get a hold of this because we always think there is a problem. Let's fix it. God has said, it's not your fight. There's nothing that you can do to defend this. You can't deflect. Don't run. Don't try to maneuver. Just be still and watch. And verse 14, I know for myself, when I find myself in a place where I'm really struggling with that, I've got to remind myself of verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. The ESV version says you have only to be silent. The King James version says you have only to be at peace. 
How easy is that when you see your enemy, the onslaught of your enemy coming at you? And God is just telling us, I got this. Moses, through this, as God uses him, and I believe that this is important for us as well, wants the people of God to see and understand two things that are coming out of this. First, the nation of Israel, because they know him as Redeemer, they're going to find out what a Savior looks like. They had already been purchased out of Egypt. They had gone through Passover. So they knew what redemption looked like. But now they're going to learn what a Savior looks like. The Savior does things for you. And secondly, they're going to find out that the Lord is willing to be a warrior for them. He's willing to go to battle for them. And so although their perspective may be entirely different than ours, saints, we need to see that same thing about the God that we serve. That he's a savior. That he fights for us. That the situations that you're working through in your life, in the church, wherever you are, This is an example that is set before us so that we can know that we serve a God who fights for us, who leads us into a place and understanding that it's not about me, but I can stand fast and watch what God does as he uses my hardship to glorify his name. And so I pray today that God would enable us all to trust him even when life doesn't make sense. Even when it seems as if Every intent of my heart has been flipped on its head. That I will trust God in the midst of it. That we will learn to stand still and to seek the salvation of the Lord. Father, I'm just so grateful and thankful to and for you today. Lord, I pray that your heart would be blessed. And God, that we would stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God, I pray for each and every one of your children who in the midst 
of this moment right now is faced with a hardship or a tragedy. And Lord, that they would know to be still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so God, we look to you in and for all things. And we ask and pray that we might be used for the sake of the glory of your name. We ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.